going to college park and the things I used to do around ATL. Home of the pimps and the money makers. Club niggas, Magic City, and the Southern players. I never said I was a gangster, but I will do ya. So hallelujah, hallelujah. One for the players at the crib drinking drinks. And two is for the sound. Hootie who that I made. Hootie who. It's a huge weekend for JMU Sports this weekend. We have uh, Georgia State coming up from Atlanta for football. We've got a couple of basketball games against ranked North Carolina teams. We've got JMU Volleyball looking to get to the NCAA tournament. There's a ton going on, Noah. So why don't we start with football? A ton. I said a ton, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start with football and talk about you know, JMU coming off a blowout victory at ODU, yep. got back on track, looked a lot more like they had early in the season. They snapped three-game losing streak. They beat they beat their in-state rival handily on the road. Everybody was feeling good about things on Saturday. Can they keep that going this week against a Georgia State team that I frankly like never know what you're going to get from them week to week? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously – JMU snapped the three-game skid that was much needed at the time, and they're still in the in the chase for the, the East Division title, which is still up for grabs, even though a lot of people, or rather some about say Coastal Carolina already won it, but technically they didn't. But anyway, I think it's it's a prime opportunity for JMU get back at home. They've played five of their last seven on the road, I believe, so much needed home game. The last two are at the home. So I think, you know, they'll be excited to be back in Bridgeforth and excited to not have to, you know, travel somewhere on Friday and then, you know, be be back in front of the crowd. And it should be a decent-sized crowd. I don't think it's going to be too packed because of Thanksgiving break for the students. But overall, I think it's going to be a good game. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it does seem interesting. You look at the, like, uh, ticket website, the reserve seats and everything are all, like, it's basically gone. There's singles on the, uh, on the new side of the stands. But it does seem like they're making a big push to like get some people to buy GA seats in the student section and things like that. So I'll be interested to see what kind of crowd crowd they end up getting on Saturday. Um, I think it'll be a good crowd, but might not be as many students as we typically have seen this season. Um, let's go back to talk a little bit about the ODU game. Um, you know, JMU was never particularly threatened in that one. Todd Santeo comes back. Kurt Signet says he's playing at 80%, and he completes his first, was 11 passes? 11 for 11. Yeah, before, you know, dinging up his ankle a little bit, had to go out for a few minutes. Well, technically, the 12th one was a completed pass just to the wrong team. Yeah. Yeah. But the bottom line is Todd came back, had a very good game, uh, looked like Todd Santeo from the first six weeks of the season, um, plays pretty well, JMU. Rolls over ODU 37-3, and are they back on track? Are we? I know we're back talking to about talking about winning the East Division. Is it reasonable for us to be back talking about winning the East Division when they've got two more games left against Georgia State and Coastal Carolina? It is. I mean, when you look at what happened during the three-game losing streak, you diagnose what went wrong. Georgia Southern just a block punt went wrong. You know, the loss to Marshall. Got injuries starting to pile up a little bit. Blocked PAT ends up swinging the momentum. And then Louisville is just straight up, you're just trying to get out of there with the fewest amount of injuries as possible. And um, So, you know, that's that's really what happened, I guess. You saw the offense not get in its form. Well, Marshall, you had 
you didn't have Todd Tail playing. And against Louisville, they ran the ball a ton to, one, keep Todd as healthy as possible because we later found out he's playing at like 66% in that game. And two, your running attack was probably the best way they were going to win the game. And, and it worked in the first half. And then, you know, Louisville caught on to what was going on and figured it out. But I think that back in conference play, they're, 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 they just went back to what they know. And that's what you saw, you know, a balanced attack. You had Chris Thornton with 140 receiving yards. You had Todd Santayo there for 300 again. And I think, you know, it's what you saw the first six weeks. You're, I'm going to include George Southern because, you know, Todd Santayo threw for 440-something yards in that game. And I think, you know... They hit a rough spot with injuries for two, a two-game span, and, and now they're back, and they've got most of those guys back, and they're comfortable to go back to what they know. Yeah, uh, defensively, Jamie played well once again against uh, <laughs> ODU. ODU's offense is just basically non-existent at this point with yeah. the, the guys that they're missing. Um, they don't have much of a dual-threat quarterback Although he, he did run. He did run a little bit. But, I mean, as far as that was because that was all on. there was <laughs> was for them uh, on Saturday. Different story on this Saturday with Darren yep. Granger at Georgia State. It's going to remind a lot of people, I think, just the way he looks and skill set and everything of uh, Malik Cunningham, who Jamie saw a couple weeks ago. And they did a good job against him individually obviously uh the louisville offense was able to do enough to win that game comfortably but his running didn't really hurt jmu so darren granger coming in as the leading rusher for for georgia state do we expect anything different this time around it's facing you know something that they've already seen yeah i mean christian talked about it yesterday at, at their press conference and he said they're not really that similar to quarterback because of the fact that Malik Cunningham has the factor of improvising on the run and making things out of nothing and I don't think Darren Granger has that he's more of a system guy and and, fit, and plays well in their system but he he doesn't you know he's not going to run 20 yards one way and then turn out field and run a 40 yard game and so I think that that's the biggest difference between the two but you also have this Georgia State offense that has Tucker Gregg, a former walk-on running back who broke the school record for rushing yards and what they do is they really just pound the ball and then once you commit to the run, they'll throw some screens, throw some slants, and, and it won't hurt you that way. So, you know, JMU's going to have to figure out is how to stop the run, but at the same time not give up the, the slants that we saw, you know, Marshall was able to take advantage of. Yeah, and, uh, and Georgia State, too, like those quick quick hitter – or Georgia Southern, sorry. We'll, we'll be doing that for the next uh, <laughs> decade or so probably. Um, but, yeah, that has been like maybe the one thing that's hurt JMU the most uh, from opposing – offenses so is this a good matchup for jamie or not i've been telling people it is but maybe you're convincing me a little bit otherwise just listen to that i think it, it's a favorable matchup especially with jamie being being the top rushing defense in the in the conference and a top two rushing defense in the in the country and i think that it's just gonna make the defensive backs learn from what georgia southern was able to do and figure it out on how to stop a five-yard slant because against georgia southern they couldn't figure it out and i think you know they've learned from that and i think especially you have an older corner like Jordan Swan. You've got a true freshman, Chauncey Logan, who's literally learning week to week. I think they'll have it figured out in a better extent, and I don't think that the Panthers will be able to really do as much damage as Kyle Van Trees was able to do. Yeah, and uh, we look at last week. Obviously, Old Dominion was not the greatest passing attack in the world, especially with uh, both Ollie Ollie Jennings and Zach Koontz out. Um, That would be probably their two 
two biggest weapons on the offensive side of the ball not playing as JMU. So, you know, maybe the secondary wasn't challenged as much as they have been recently. But I did think there was some uh, there was some improvement there going down to Norfolk and, uh, you know, basically handling what was thrown at them. Yeah, I mean, they're playing with, you know, secondary that's a little banged up here and there. And, you know, a guy like Devin Cole's got a pick, and that was a big boy pick. He just went and wrestled the ball away and got it. And you, you saw, you know, Jalen Walker pick six again. And so – Jamie's pass defense is shown out, and I mean it's not the the best pass offense they faced, but at the same time they're showing improvement. They had three picks on the day and one at the end of the game, so I think you know it's it's a good starting point to learn from, especially going these last two weeks where you're going to see a better thrower this week and it has more options. And then Coastal Carolina, you know, they the following week they have a lot of weapons on offense, even without Grace McCall. Yeah, and um, you know we've seen for the past few weeks teams were obviously trying to go at the true freshman Chauncey Logan at quarterback with with mixed results. He, I mean, he's he's been okay at times, and he's gotten burned other times. He he did pretty well on Saturday. I thought he made a couple plays. He you know I think he had a couple breakups and was there. They let him play a little bit physically downfield. I think is to his advantage because he's yeah you know he's a good athlete. He's big. He's strong. Is he kind of you know you're talking about learning week to week. How much improvement have we seen just from him personally over the past you know, couple of weeks? I think we've seen a lot. I mean, this is a guy who missed almost the entire fall camp with an injury, came back and, and got inserted into the game in the second half against Middle Tennessee? No, Norfolk State. Yeah. Because they were getting burned on that side, and he came in and made a play right away. I mean, he leads, he's, leads the team in pass breakups. He's second in the conference with 10 or third, top five. And so, I mean, as a true freshman, that statistic already. And he also had six pass breakups before he logged his first career tackle. So he's a physical yeah. guy, and, and I think, you know, he's been learning a lot. And I think, you know, it's something that they need because next year he'll probably be cornerback number one unless they go to the portal and grab someone a little bit older. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at Georgia State, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the defense and Todd Santeo kind of being 100%. Are there any other particular keys to this one that you think are important for JMU to get a win? Yeah, you know, I think it's really going to – you get the running game going, and especially with Percy, and, and you get Kalon Black who has really shown that he can do things, especially after injury this year, broken finger. He's come back and come back with a vengeance. I think they get him going a lot. And, you know, Latrell Palmer, he's seen his, his snaps go down drastically, and I think that's just a matter of Kalon just coming on as a running back and, and being more effective at times. But we will see him, I think, too, get involved. So the running game will need to get going, but we are. I think they'll be okay. Yeah. Um, you know, running game, let's just talk overall about the season uh, Percy's had. I mean, I don't think maybe we've talked enough about just as he's come back from injury, you know, he's a guy who it, it'll be tough, but a thousand yards this season is not out of the question. Um, he is much. We talked about the deep running back room, the stable about guys going to get like uh, lots of carries. Once they got a few weeks into the season, it, it became his job. I mean, he's the feature back just, you know, what have you seen out of him? Even even just recently, that stands out to him. You know, a guy finishing his career, he's gotten invited to the Hula Bowl now. What are his kind of you know his future prospects looking like by coming back for this season? 
I mean, I think he's shown that the injury's gone. I mean, he's averaging 5.6 yards a carry this year. He, he He's only had one game where he didn't really run the ball well, and that was Texas State, and it was basically because he was hurt. And so, I mean, the last, what, five games, he's he's got a game of 158, 106, 96, 102, and 82. He's, he's run the ball really well, and I think, you know, get to 1,000 yards, he's going to have to have two games that are over 100. He's at 740 yards right now, so... My mental math isn't great, but he's going to need two games that are over 125 yards each. And so I think it's doable, especially for a guy like him who's, who's running the ball extremely well right now. And I think that coming back was the right move for him, and he's showing that he could stick at a future level. I don't know if he's an NFL draft pick, but I think he'll definitely at least get a get a shot somewhere. Yeah. Well, let's talk about another running back, though, who has – he doesn't get probably as many touches as a lot of people would like in this offense based on what he's done – recently but Kalen Black has come on strong here late in the season and uh to the point where I don't know if this is entirely because of the way he's played at running back but they take him off special teams essentially off the kickoff return yep and have been finding different ways to try to get him involved offensively I mean they took him off kickoff return I think partially because at Louisville he took a shot and they thought he was concussed or whatever they thought he was done for the game and he came back and played well but I mean that Louisville game's a good example right he only played nine plays set up their touchdown three touches on that drive so obviously he's an explosive player brings the spark to this team and I think that you know we saw last week they got on the ball a lot he scored a touchdown um, near his hometown and I think that he is turning into the I think you know I, I've said this at ODU I think he is the most talented back in this running back room just pure talent Kalen Block is, is the most talented back and I think that especially next year he may possibly be running back the top back for JMU take over Percy's role of of being the guy who gets all the carry, a lot of the carries. Yeah, and I do wonder if now as we get to the last couple of games of the season, you know, Jamie obviously wants to win these games. They want to claim the East title, um, finish on a high note. But you're also getting to the point where, like, you know, you're not <clears throat> playing for a bowl game for postseason for the Sun Belt Championship or anything like that. I do wonder if we'll see anything that sort of starts to kind of turn that page towards next season whether it's, you know, getting some more carries for a guy like Kalen Black, who, like you said, probably is the number one back going into next season. Um, or, you know, how you handle your quarterback situation if you, you know, put a backup in, um, you know, but just playing some younger guys. I wonder if we'll see a little bit different approach to some things here with two games left, especially when you consider some of these guys – who haven't played very much this season can play these past, next two games and still redshirt. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're playing the win, the, the East title. So I, I don't yeah. think we'll see it too much. I think if, if it's a blowout, we'll see it. And I think if they lose, could see it against Coastal. But I think they really want to win that Coastal game. So I don't yeah. know how much they're going to take their foot off the gas at this point, um, just seeing how the season's gone and how they're actually winning games. I mean, if they were in this situation and they were 3-6 and six at this point, you might see it. But six and three with two games to play, I think they're. I don't think they're really going to play for next season. I think that's what. They, at least you were asked that question, Coach Signetti. I think he says that's what spring ball is for. So yeah, you know, I think the the mindset is they're going to play whoever's the best player on the field, and and uh, they want to win every game they can play. Yeah, I guess I should be a little more clear. I was talking more like if they get up by you know a few scores and have the opportunity to. I mean, we saw it last week like, a little yeah. bit. They they put all the young guys in just to get them on the field, but um, yeah, definitely not. In a tight ball game, they're not doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, 
you know, we can shift it over to the ladies a little bit since we, you know, talked about everything's going on this week. We'll hit on uh, some women's basketball, some volleyball. We'll start with women's basketball playing a little bit better here in the last couple of games, a couple 41-point victories against a Division Two team and a team that was Division Two last year. But um, definitely a little bit better showing than they had uh, in the first game against a good main team, but still disappointing for them to come out with a loss in that one. But some steady improvement before they get ready to take on uh, number 13 North Carolina here uh, in Harrisonburg on Sunday. They also play uh, Longwood. at Longwood tonight um, as we record this. So you might be listening to this after the Longwood game. But let's, let's talk a little bit about that North Carolina game because I think they should handle Longwood on the road. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But, you know, Noah's going to be at that one on Sunday. What, what are your expectations for that? I mean, I'm pretty sure they played last year, and it was like a 50-point loss or 40-point loss. It wasn't pretty. So I think, you know, at this point – if JMU keeps it close, I think it's a, it's a win. I don't know if they can pull out a win over your talented North Carolina team, but I think, you know, if they keep it close, it's, it's a good game. Yeah. It, it will be um, intriguing to see just how they continue to kind of work. Um, some of their more talented players, you know, Claire Naff, Peyton McDaniel, not playing huge minutes yet, how they continue to try to work them into the rotation as they, you know, just get uh, healthier and into better shape. Um Get, they're getting a little bit more used, I think, to playing with this group since they have you know several transfers playing big minutes. Um, I've been incredibly impressed with uh, Amira, Amira Williams' transfer from College of Charleston, who like probably you know I'm to blame for this at least partially, but like probably overlooked among like all the transfers that came in that we've talked a lot about. She's been big, especially on defense and uh, helping out in the backcourt. So, like you said. It is kind of just um, – you kind of just wonder if they can be a little more competitive than they were in this kind of game last year because, you know, you look at all their, you know, games from last season against big-name opponents that were ranked. Um, they did not go well <laughs> last year, uh, which was kind of a departure from where they were in previous seasons where they were competitive with those kinds of teams. Yeah. So can they get back to being uh, a little bit more competitive with those tense teams? I think they can, especially you know the pieces they've added this year. They they want to win, and especially they want if they want to play in the NCAA tournament, you got to be competitive against these top teams. Because most likely, if you win the Sun Belt title, you're going to be playing a team like North Carolina in the first round. Maybe not North Carolina, but you're going to play the caliber of team, and you obviously want to have a good showing in that in that tournament. So, I think this will be a good litmus test to see how far they have to go. I mean, if they come out and they keep it a five point game for much of the game, I think that's a win. I think if they upset, you know, <laughs> crazy. But I think if it's a 20, 30-point loss, then you, you, you identify there's work to do. Yeah. And I think one other major difference this year is they do have the size to match up with those kinds of teams. Last year, you know, when Maryland comes here, it's just drastic, <laughs> drastic difference in size where they're playing, you know, guards over six feet tall, their centers are six four, things like that. JMU has that this year. And probably not to the same talent level that those programs have, but I think just – Physically looking at the teams on the court, it won't look as much like a mismatch size-wise as maybe it has like the last couple of years. Yeah, that may help keep it a little closer. Obviously, you know, not having someone who's five seven, five eight guarding a six foot two person will help. And I think that yeah, I think you know, obviously we've seen what Kiki Jefferson can do. She's scoring you know twenty points every game, 
so far. That's I think what's well, a streak that dates back to last season a little bit. And so, obviously, she's at the the engine that keeps this team rolling. And we'll see if anyone else can really step up because she obviously can do it. But I don't think they want her to have to do it every night. Yeah. And the other women's team that you've written about recently, you wrote about uh, Jamie Volleyball, obviously on an incredible streak at this point, heading into the Sun Belt Tournament as a top seed. Top seed in the East, they you know, see it kind of strange yeah, by the Visions. Uh, they would have been a top overall seed regardless. Um, number 29 in the country in RPI. Uh, what is it? 13, 14 match winning streak at this point? I think it's 11. It's 11? Okay. Since they split with Texas oh, State. Yeah. But, but on a roll heading into the postseason, you talked with uh, Coach Lauren Steinbrecher, uh, Sophie Davis. Just how how um, how much are they rolling right now? How, how confident are they heading into their tournament? Yeah, it seems like they're 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 playing with extreme confidence. Obviously, when you you've only dropped one conference match the entire season, fifteen and one in conference play, they've only dropped four this period in the season. So obviously, they're playing with a bunch of confidence. And you know, one thing they told me is like, uh, yes, they've won fifteen of their sixteen conference matches, but at the same time, they approach everyone the same because you know they don't want to get caught up in the thinking, oh, we're we're better than you, and then drop a game. So. They approach it all the same. They, they they sweep a weekend. They flush it down the toilet. They come back the following weekend. They, they act like they're 0-0, zero, zero, and they go again. So, obviously, that'll help them this weekend. Um, they've got a bye. They play Friday against the winner of Southern Miss and Georgia Southern. They've already played Georgia Southern this year. They have not played Southern Miss. So it'll be kind of cool if they get a new opponent out there. But um, they're definitely primed in position to make a run in this tournament. And I think if they can get to the final, the final, I think they have an opportunity to, even if they lose that, you know, get in as an at-large bid, which in the college – volleyball it's hard to do when you're from a mid-major conference especially when you look at the Pac-12s and things like that who will literally put in almost an entire conference yeah when um you know I looked at that a little bit before the season and you looked at the Sun Belt coming in last year they had multiple teams if you count JMU which was in the the uh, CAA at the time they had multiple teams that were in that like 50 to 55 range RPI that didn't get into the tournament where teams with the similar RPIs from the Big 12 got in yeah um so there, there's that. So Jamie right now being in the top 30 I think is, it helps. Is, is huge. It's a big difference. Um, and they're in that position basically because they got to play multiple matches against conference teams that were ranked to the top 100, which they didn't have last season. And they could get, they could get a couple more here in a tournament. Like you said, even if, they, even if they got to the championship game and lost to – a Texas State or South Alabama or Troy, um, that's not going to hurt them that much. They should yeah. be in pretty solid shape. Yeah, I think so. And I think that it's an exciting time for Jamie Volleyball, especially if they can get through. Obviously, if they don't win, then they have to wait, I think, like a week. Like, selection shows the 27th, so they have to wait a little while. But if they get in, if they win, they know they're in and they can, you know, keep practicing. And I think that obviously they have a shot at large, but, you know, I think they'd rather just punch their ticket and move on. Yeah, and I'm sure they would <laughs> rather do that. And, you know, move on, probably help themselves seating and everything. Cause you know, if you're talking about possibly, you know, top 25 ish RPI going in, you, you know, you might have a easier path. Uh, they probably won't host. But... Yeah. But like, you know, you know, you might start talking about, you know, if they can win a match or two in the, uh, in the tournament, yeah. not just get in, which, which would be huge for the program. Kind of, kind of the next step for the program that's made some NCAA tournaments, but you know, hasn't kind of had that run. 
Yeah, and it's been a couple of years since they made the NCAA tournament. It has been, and I think that one thing that's cool to note just about the Sun Belt as a whole in the com in the you know whole athletic department since this move, two fall sports teams have already played for a conference title, haven't won it. Men's and women's soccer, football is if they could, they'd be in prime position to play for a conference title. Volleyball is in position to play in a. Con- I think that when you look at this move for Sun Belt, you know I know we're not, we're talking about volleyball, but people looked at it as a football only move. But when you look around the around the room. It's really helped out almost every fall sport so far. Yeah, and yeah, they've been very successful. Um, you can talk about it. We want to talk about though just the move. We can kind of hit on. We've talked a lot about volleyball, who benefited greatly from this and possibly is making the NCAA tournament <laughs> because they're playing in the Sun Belt. And then be, I don't. I think to be fair, you also have to mention that field hockey had one of their best seasons in years and didn't make the NCAA tournament because of this move yep. because they had to play independent which with uh, field hockey not sponsored in the Sun Belt yet. So I did, just to be fair about everything, I think we can probably like bring that up that there's been at least one team that's benefited greatly and potentially is making the tournament because of the move. But another another had to kind of suffer through not making a tournament I mean, almost they, entirely because they they, they played really well. I mean, if they had won, I think a couple ranked more a couple more of those ranked games, I think they're in. Yeah. I, but, I mean, if they're playing in the CAA, they probably win that conference easily oh, and yeah. are getting in. Whereas, you know, it's a small tournament field. And it's only like 20 teams. Their, their teams. resume was quite good. But once you, <laughs> once you take all the automatic uh, automatic qualifiers in the conferences, there's not a lot of spaces left for a team like, like JMU. Um, but, yeah, let's get sidetracked a little bit. Volleyball. Should have a great opportunity here. I think uh, Jamie fans will be quite excited about that if they make the NCAA tournament. And I'm sure we'll love to celebrate uh, what would be the first Sun Belt championship if they can pull that off. Um, so that was big. That was, you know, little women's sports in between. You know, probably, I would say, like, right now, the two sports that everybody's keeping their eye on when it comes to JMU. We talked about football. Probably, I don't remember as much excitement around the men's basketball team this early in November while football's still going on in quite a while because they're 4-0, and they're not just 4-0, they're just absolutely crushing teams. And they've got a big one on Sunday, which is, you know, an opportunity with nothing to lose but everything to gain when they go to North Carolina to play. The number one team in the country, which has struggled with some of uh, Jamie Year's peer mid-major program so far what do you think about that one on sunday i think you know it's an opportunity for jamie to play a competitive game i'm not going to get ahead of myself and think you know some people on twitter are talking like oh jamie's got a shot to win i think you know a team that edged gardner webb by i think six or eight points they're going to come out with a vengeance and they're going to want to you know blow somebody out after that and, and jamie's unfortunately the next opponent on the schedule for them but I think that the way Jamie's playing, I think they can keep it close. I think there is an opportunity to win the game. But at the same time, you are playing the number one team in the country who was in the national title game last year. So there's that. And yeah. we'll see what they can do against a guy like, you know, Armando Bacot and people like that who are just, you know, the best of the best in the in the country. Yeah. And you you look at, uh, you know, Bacot, Caleb loves playing really good right now. Um There'll be a challenge just simply because of the uh, talent, size, athleticism of UNC. But for some reason, they have, you know, I don't want to say struggled because they've won, but it's been competitive games so far for yeah. them against, you know, similar 
similar caliber programs from the CAA and Gardner Webb. Uh, they they played um, UNCW. They played Charleston. They didn't allow either one of those teams. Charleston was ahead, I think, by seven points at halftime. And then I talked to Mark Byington this morning about it. And what he pointed out is like those games were very competitive, but there was a point in each one of them where UNC just went on a run to kind of take control, um, or you know, to in the case of Gardner Webb, they built a big enough lead early that they were able to hold on, even though Gardner Webb came back late. Um, so I mean, to him, like the big key for JMU in this one is to not let that big run happen. He, he kind of you know. Kind of has hinted at it. if if they can do that if they can pre- prevent that one big run that's carried UNC in these first three games that he he thinks they have a shot to win this one if they can do that. I mean I, I don't see why you wouldn't have that kind of confidence when you <laughs> when you're scoring ninety five points a night or more and I think you know they're not going to put up. I mean I don't think they'll score hundred points against North Carolina but you know I think that if they limit the run there's an opportunity there especially with the way the whole team has been playing. I mean, you know, you've, you've seen they've used a different starting lineup every night. And, you know, my guy, Noah Friedel, we share the, we share the first same first name, the first initial of our last name. So Shane, sometimes when I call him, thinks that Noah Friedel's calling him, so it's kind of weird. But, you know, yeah. at the same time, he's playing well, and Vado Morse has been playing well, and a lot of them have been playing well. And I think that it's gonna they're going to have to play um, not an almost perfect game, but pretty close. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that probably plays into JB's advantage a little bit um, – in this one is they played four games in a fairly short span of time. They've been on the road. So they barely practiced like since the season started. Now they're going to get, you know, two or three like full practices in before this one to kind of try to clean up, you know, the issues. They've turned the ball over a lot. I think part of that's just, you know, the frantic pace they've played. Um, they're trying to turn other, other teams over too so they can kind of live with the, the back and forth a little bit. Um, but they want to clean that up a little bit before this one. Um, I think I, I do think that the timing also kind of works out well for JMU. Not saying that they're going to go down there and win, but at this point, I do think it kind of would be disappointing if they go down and it's not a relatively competitive game, just based on the starts of both teams. Yeah, I think so. I think there's an, it's, a, it's an opportunity for JMU to at least play competitive, and I think you know if I think it'll be a big confidence booster if they win for sure. But I think it's also a big confidence booster if they play within 10, play within 5, and keep it close, keep, keep it back and forth, play well, and things like that. So, obviously, it's going to be the best competition they're going to they're gonna face basically the whole year, and we'll see how they fare. Yeah. I mean, we can go back just a little bit. We, we've talked about the UNC game. I haven't really recapped what they've done so far this year, other than, than vague mentions of blowing teams out. But you know, they're winning their games by 41.5 points. That's skewed a little bit by the 85-point uh, win against the D3 team. But have not had a close game yet. And I think the most notable thing for that to me is they did that. They won by 35 on the road against what should be a pretty solid Buffalo team. If anything points to this team, you know, being legit so far, because we've seen them get off to a hot start last year, but they're winning close games. To me, it's that they've been able to win on the road and they've been able to win against what I think is like at least one decent team. Yeah, very easily. Like they just really haven't even been challenged yet. Yeah, I mean they haven't, and obviously then they go to Howard and 
do the same thing to Howard, obviously. So, yeah, yeah I think the challenge is good, <laughs> especially at this point in the year. And you want to yeah. see what your team is made of. And you don't want to blow everyone out and then get to conference play and play a tight game and be like, oh, wow, like what are we doing? So I think it's a good opportunity for Jamie to at least get the experience of playing in a close game this year because, you know, they've got a lot of new faces on this team that weren't there last year and didn't play in those tight games. So I think it's a good opportunity. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be a busy weekend um, around Harrisonburg and uh, points south and west if we uh, talk about volleyball too. Uh, you know, Noah and I will have a football game on Saturday and then each get a basketball game on Sunday. Uh, the busy time of year, but we love it. It's fun, and I'm sure plenty of other uh, Jamie fans are going to be at one or two of those games this weekend. So, um, yeah. You have something to listen to now in your uh, Purple and Bold podcast while you're in the car, either heading to Harrisonburg or Chapel Hill or quite possibly fully Alabama if you're, <laughs> if you're a diehard volleyball fan and haven't made it down there yet. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. This has been the Purple and Bold podcast, the uh, James Madison sports podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin, and with me as always, Almost always has been Noah Fleischman, and thank you for listening.